Welcome to the Vision of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ted McElroy. This podcast is dedicated to helping you find your wins, have a better quality of life, and become the best leader you can be. Hey, have you subscribed to this podcast yet? Don't miss an episode. They're worth every single thing you paid for them, which is nothing because they're free. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast by hitting the subscribe button. Give us a rating and a review on your specific podcast player. This helps us with our podcast rankings and makes it easier for people to find us. And as always, please support those who help support us. On episode 102 of this podcast, Chris interviewed Justin Kwan, Michelle Andrews, and Richard Ruth. They pointed out that as a profession, we have done a great job of letting our patients know that myopia is not a big deal. If you can see 2020, there is no worry. It is the high myopes that are more danger. And as they said, that message is tragic. Any myopia has a higher risk of maculopathy, glaucoma, and earlier cataract development. In the MySight One Day clinical trials, only 4% of study participants who got ProClear One Days stayed stable in their myopia progression over the three-year period. That means you can confidently say parent, by not going to a system geared to slow the myopia progression, there is a 96% chance your child's vision will get worse. This may take away some of the choice your child has in the future as to how they will correct their vision. Choice, not fear of the disease associations with myopia, is what best resonates with parents when it comes to myopia control for their children. And with Cooper Vision's MySight One Day, we now have an FDA-approved single-use contact lens to lessen the progression of myopia in our patients. Contact your Cooper Vision representative to find out more about MySight One Day contact lenses. Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacU Health with Micromycel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromycel technology. Welcome to the Vision of Leadership podcast. I'm Ted McElroy, and today I'm very excited to introduce to you Dr. Sandeep Kaur. Um, she has a practice in New Jersey, somewhere close to the New York City area. Uh, she's been in practice for a for a little while now, but she started off cold basically and uh, brought in something. What really got me excited about this? We were having a discussion amongst a bunch of the administrators for Vision Source, and we were talking about who's a really good young practitioner that's sort of done this on their own. And Sundeep was in the room, and everybody's like pointing to Sundeep and said her. And I said, "Awesome, this will be great." So, Sundeep, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you, thank you. And I actually have three practices. Awesome. Well, that beats you. Once that beats me by two. Well, hey, that's that's great. That beats me by two. Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll get into a whole lot of cool stuff today. Then with a the cold start, uh, you've, I'm presuming you've done the first. Well, tell me your origin story. How did you come about doing this? I know you had uh, you know started. I think you graduated in 2010. Is that not correct? I graduated 2010 from college. 2014 from optometry school. I see. Okay. Okay. And so you ended up. Um, are you going, did you go back to the area where you grew up? Uh, how did you decide to come to New Jersey? Tell me all about that. So I'm actually from the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania. Um, it's a nice little area, about an hour uh, northwest of Philadelphia. And so I went to college. I went to um, Drexel University. 
And then I went to optometry school in Puerto Rico at Inter-American. And when I came back, I told my parents I just wanted to be close to a city. So I looked initially for jobs around the Philadelphia area, and I happened to just really find a great job in New Jersey with an ophthalmologist, and they had three locations. And so I kind of picked a central spot right by the waterfront um, in New Jersey, close to New York border, and then that just kind of became my home base, and I would work um, at all three locations for him. And I was there for a few years. Uh, I always wanted my own practice, and part of why I went into optometry is because you have the ability to do that. I wanted to originally go into medical school, and then I shadowed some physicians and kind of saw that their, their life wasn't what I wanted. Uh, I went for an eye exam and I just was talking to my optometrist. I'm like, so what are you doing? And he's like, well, we're shutting down the office for a weekend going on vacation. And I was like, you can do that? And he's like, well, it's my practice. I can do that. And I went home and told my parents, I was like, I'm going to optometry school. So I was a biomed engineer my first year, supposed to go to medical school, switched my major to health sciences. And that's why I ended up being an optometrist because that's all I wanted. I wanted to have that work-life balance. I, I know I love to travel. I wanted to be able to close down my office and do what I want. And um, so when I worked with my ophthalmologist, I was single at that point and I wanted to keep myself flexible because sometimes if you marry somebody and they're committed to a certain city or a certain state or if they had their own practice, it can be difficult. And I wasn't in any rush. So I just continued to work for him and he was he was really good to me. He was like a father figure. Um, it wasn't one of those crazy places. I got patients every 30 minutes, which is unheard of with an ophthalmologist. And um, he really let me grow the contact lens division. I did a lot of scleral lens fittings. Uh, but most importantly, every spare minute I kind of spent at the front desk. I would help answer calls. I would see what they're doing with insurances, what do these things mean, um, because I know ultimately I want in my own office. And like everyone says, we know how to be the optometrist. What you don't know how to do is do the other things, the front desk stuff, the business side of things. And so I spent a lot of time there kind of with the staff and learning things. And that, that really helped me um, kind of to get where I am now. And then um, I did eventually get married in 2017, and then that's when we started looking for an office. And I was like, okay, now I'm ready. My husband was from New York. I made him come to New Jersey. I was like, New Jersey's better than New York. And we settled there, and we were kind of like, okay, this is where we're going to make our forever home. And so um, that was really when I started looking for my office. So what were some of the things that you brought from that practice where you were spending all that time at that front desk that you brought into your practice when you decided this is going to be mine and, and because I learned this, I'm going to make sure I implement this in my new practice? Um, one of the things was definitely a medical billing. So obviously working with ophthalmologists, we did a lot of medical billing. And honestly, if I didn't spend time going over how certain CPT codes work with other CPT codes, I probably would have been so lost. Like knowing that you can't take a retinal photo and an OCT the same day, it, it, it really helped me spending time with their front desk and their billing department to like learn those things and 
I went in and I was billing, coding, doing everything super correctly, like right away. Um, and the other thing that I think really helped me was doing keratoconus and scleral lens fittings. It wasn't something that they were doing currently um, in the practice. And so I brought that in and it's, it's grown a lot since. So my first, my first practice was a vision source doctor that I bought from. And how did you so come about finding that practice? Um, so in 2017, we got married. In 20, uh, end of 2018, I got invited to the um, December holiday event that they were having in New Jersey. The administrators invited a bunch of young ODs. So I think, I don't know how they got my email address, but I was invited. And I'm so thankful I was invited. And um, we went and they asked us to, everyone stood up and said their names and their offices. And then they had the younger ODs. Um, go last and just, you know, state their name and just where they practice and like one thing about them. And I had said, you know, where I practice and I was like, oh, and I really want to buy an office. And I'm so glad I said that because there was sitting a vision source doctor who was looking to sell her practice. And so after the meeting, she came up to me and she's like, I think my practice would be perfect for you. And I had already looked at three practices and I was disappointed by all three. So I had not gone with them. So I was, I was very excited because I did hear good things about Vision Source. And um, we, I think immediately, almost like a week or two weeks later, I went to go see her practice. And it was amazing. It was in Hillsborough, New Jersey. It was what I wanted. There was medical equipment. She had an optical exam rooms. It was really nicely laid out. And we started the process. It took a few months, but finally I closed end of July in 2019. So that was when I first got my first practice. Um, and while I was doing that, I had also already eyed another area where I wanted to open my cold start. I knew I wanted to open up a cold start in Carteret, New Jersey. It's a slightly underserved area. And I really wanted to help out people because I used to have people come from that area to my ophthalmologist about 30, 40 minutes away. And I always wondered, like, why didn't they just see care in that area? And I found out that there wasn't very many doctors in that area. So I had already kind of, even prior to me talking to that vision source doctor, started scouring that area for retail space. And I actually had signed like a letter of intent so here I got my first office end of July 2019, and I had a letter of intent already in that I would be building one. Um, so I started building that in January of 2020. Uh, Gee, great timing. <laughs> it was pretty bad. Um, it was good and bad, actually. Um, construction halted, which let me focus on my primary practice. It was, it was good um, in a sense. And the landlord was really nice and like completely understanding and obviously not charging me for rent yet. Um, so I got a few extra months of just making sure I had everything figured out in my first office, which was, which was really good. And we ended up, I ended up really replicating um, the same workflow and everything in the first office and the same kind of equipment to the Carteret office because I really like to practice with all the newest gadgets. Um, while 2020 was happening and COVID was happening um, and I construction was halted, 
where I lived, there was a office on the waterfront area, which was beautiful. I, I told my husband, you know, before I even had my first practice, that if this guy ever sells, I want his practice. Like, it's on the waterfront overlooking New York City. And in June, um, I guess he opened his doors after COVID in June, a little bit later than everybody else. And um, he put it up for sale. COVID changed him. He didn't want to deal with the practice anymore. He wanted to spend time home with the kids. A lot of people, you know, change their minds about how private practice affects them. Um, so it was up for sale. <laughs> and so I've got an established practice. One I'm still trying to build out. And then my dream practice just went on sale. And I asked my husband, who is not an optometrist, he works for Con Edison, a utility company in New York. Mm -hmm. I was like, listen, I'm going to need your help. Like, you're going to have to help me out with this. I, but I really want this practice. And I was like, are you in? And he's like, if you want it, um, he's like, I'll help you out. So, um, and by help, he handles all of our optical stuff, which is actually a huge, huge help. He's like my optical lab manager. So any issues that happen, they go through him. And that's like taking a huge burden off my shoulders. Um, but that's how I ended up with my third practice in a basically 12 months time. Wow. That's like incredible how quickly you went from working for somebody else to owning three practices. Yeah. Let me ask you this question. Um, what, and, and so I'm guessing that you probably had practice number one and number three really up and running before you had practice number two up and running, correct? Exactly. So practice one um, was great. I mean, the transition was awesome by the vision source doctor. I mean, it was a vision source practice. Like, right. It was running well. There was no issues with the transition at all. I never saw a loss of patients or anything. Um, the third practice, in, in such a beautiful area, it wasn't run well. Um, they took a lot of Medicaid insurances, and it was just it was like a mix of demographics where people were expecting higher end, and it wasn't run as a higher end office. So I actually had to struggle a bit with that location because I, I had to kind of almost start fresh with um, my patients, introducing them to certain fees that they weren't used to. They weren't mm -hmm. used to having to pay for retinal screenings or um, contact lens evaluations. There's still doctors out there that do them. Um, so I had to build it up a bit. I had to spend some time on there, but it was n not that difficult. Um, cold starts are definitely hard, um, but we were really lucky because we're in a, in a great area where everyone is very, um, they're very thankful that we're there. It's a smaller community where everybody wants to keep the money in the town. And that's not something I experienced with the other two locations because the Edgewater, New Jersey location, the one by the waterfront, that area, it's a very high income area, but there's no loyalty um, towards wanting to support a smaller office. And in my cold start, there's a lot of loyalty. And I think I picked the perfect location because I feel good helping the patients there. So with, you know, you said you sort of developed your strategy in practice one and sort of honed yeah. it in and made it work better. You took that same model and you brought it to practice two and three, but three first, I would presume. Yes. But what in practice three, or practice two, excuse me, I'm getting my numbers correct. What in the cold start have you learned that you thought 
wow, this really needs to be taking place in my other two practices? Um, frame dream? <laughs> Can we talk about frame dream? Yeah, I mean, and, and you probably need to explain what frame dream is because not everybody understands what frame dream is. Um, so frame dream is a program by vision source where we, um, purchase all the frames up front, but then instead of having to sell from the board, we just order them directly through a frame dream portal and send them over to the lab. So obviously the other two offices, uh, there was inventory that came with them. So I kept some of that and added some new things in, but with my cold start, I had a blank slate. I could do whatever I want with it. And we were. I think at the exchange right around when we were opening up and we just went ahead and I think we went all in on frame dream. We, everything that we opened up was frame dream. We later went on to add one line. That's not frame dream, but every single thing is. And what that's done for us is that it's um, helped our staff not have to think when you have a staff turnover, which I have a very, very high rate of staff turnover in that office, I think just because of the location, um, it's really hard to get somebody that can kind of commit to long time, a long term. So we just get a lot of students and things like that. And I, I, I'm tired of training. I'm training. I was training this morning. I'm tired, tired, tired of training. And the more I can automate things, um, the better it is. And that's what I've really learned from my cold start that I've made it so that people don't have to think. And if you don't have to, you don't have to think, you can literally hire anybody. Um, and frame dreams helped us so, so much because you just scan it, you press send, the frame shows up at the lab, the job shows up here. Our turnaround time is amazing, like less than a week. And, um, We've slowly started doing that. Hillsborough, I think, is at about 50 or 60 percent frame dream. That's my first office. And then the third, I forgot my numbers too. The third one is um, is about at 25 percent. And so we're, we're, we're going to change that come April now when we get to that meeting. I have had a very similar experience in our practice. We, uh, Georgia, um, at the time, Daniel Lieberman was uh, heading that particular division for Essilor, and he brought it to the administrator meeting, and I think they had just test-marketed it really up in the Washington State area. Brett Hagen's practice was doing it. I think it was one of the first test markets, and they were getting ready to roll out to like 50 practices across the country. And I thought, this sounds like an amazing idea because, you know, all my best sellers are staying on the board. I'm not having to worry about, you know, oh, my gosh, well, you know, that one's on back order or, you know, we've we've you know, we're having to wait for this frame to come in. And it, it just really made a lot of sense, not to mention the fact that similar to you, uh, for us, it, it's more of a challenge of getting someone in optical that's had some sort of, of sales experience. I really don't care if they're having optical experience. I just want them to be able to learn how to sell stuff. Mm -hmm. And once you finally get them educated to do that, well, sometimes that other stuff becomes, Hey, I'm going to sell frames for a company perhaps, or something like that. So they tend to, you know, go into those type of businesses. However, the challenge happens when we're sitting in optical and we've got a full day of guests coming through the practice and a frame rep shows up, you know, kind of well, we try to, we do have them all scheduled to come in, but then they're going to spend the next, you know, hour picking out frames and, you know, going through that sort of thing. And we don't know what's selling well. They're just showing us the new stuff. 
So we don't have that kind of knowledge. Whereas with Frame Dream, like you were saying, we've got the best sellers on the board already, you know, so we know what's going to work well for us before we even put it out there. So it makes a lot more sense. Not to mention the fact that now instead of sitting with our reps and trying to learn or just say, hey, that looks nice. I think I'll buy that one. We spend more time talking about the line itself. Why is this particular line important? What are the strategies behind telling people why this frame is better? Um, what's the story behind the designer? Where do they come up with their color schemes? All those kind of things. So you're telling the story about the frame instead of just saying, ah, we bought this new one. It's really pretty. Would you like to see it? Yeah. You know, so that becomes a lot better way of our team learning how to sell. And um, on top of that, just the, like you said, the turnaround is amazing. You know, um, so I've had, yeah, and I'm sure you've probably had this happen before where you've got like one really good selling frame and you sold it four times that day, mm-hmm. you know, in the old days, I'd sell it once, and then I'd have it again maybe two weeks later when it showed back up again. You know, so it's great. Um, when you started with Frame Dream, what were some of your, um, what, what were you scared of at the beginning? What, what really frightened you about Frame Dream? And then what did you figure out, well, that's not really uh, something that really happened? First time purchasing, what well, I don't know, 500 frames at the same time. I didn't have to do that previously. That is a big number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot of money, and obviously you're afraid of it not being successful. I'm not. I wasn't from that area, so I I, I knew the demographics to a certain small extent. I didn't really know what they want to wear, and um, I it, it was scary to bring all this in and then not know if it was going to work. But one of the good things is, is that they do let us change out lines. And we had to do that for one line, only one line. And it's been great. It really has been. How did you figure out what was going to be the right lines to put in your practice in the first place? Because it's not like they just got four lines you get to choose from. And there's quite a extensive catalog to choose from. There is, so we kind of just did a mix of, I mean, some things are just kind of end up being no-brainers with the vision source discounts and stuff like that. Like you just right. have to carry them. Um, and then other things, um, we, we did a couple luxury lines. Um, we knew what was working in the other offices, so some of the lines we kept very similar. Um, we know people like um, Gucci. People love Gucci in that area, so I just brought in all the Gucci lines um, and and um it's it's all about like branded they like they like everything to have uh, a brand or a label on it whereas in edgewater it's more about my which is my third location it's more about um the quality and integrity and they don't necessarily want the label on the side of it they want people to kind of like be like oh where are those from and so more of like higher end designers as opposed to just like Arabian or Gucci or Saint Laurent and so um, that's those brands have definitely worked really well for us in the um, cold start that's great um, with your team and you were talking about training and the rough thing you have to go through with training what kind of processes are you putting in place to make sure training works because if you're having to have a fair amount of turnover what have you put into place that's made that part easier for you 
Um, I really wish I knew the answer for that because it's, it's, I have a lot of things in place, but I mean, some of it requires a little bit of energy or effort from the person I'm trying to train. And I feel like I got frustrated today because I have a training manual that I made, um, which basically goes over just like basic optometry, just things like, like optometry for dummies, but it has to do a lot with our EMR. So it has like specific things that they can learn from like how to print prescriptions, how to check in, how to check out, and no one's reading it. <laughs> like, like, nobody wants to read this manual. Um, and then we've also tried um, training courses on Insight, um, <laughs> on Vision Source training courses right. that we've tried, um, which, which have been helpful, because like the triage stuff there is very, very helpful, and some of the optometry um, anatomy terms and things like that are very helpful. Um, but I'm just seeing a, a lot of the newer staff members kind of just want to learn from you showing them rather than having to read anything on their own. Right. And I don't know if you're seeing that there. I, it's frustrating because if I do, sh I'll show them, but then they want to be shown again and again instead of taking notes. Like, take the notes, write them down somewhere, and refer back to them. You know, manager or myself or someone cannot stand over somebody all day long teaching them the same thing again and again it's it's getting a bit frustrating for us here and at least what's your process for finding your people um and how do you go through the selection process with them how do you decide this is a good fit for our practice well it just depends on the location we we schedule we we um use indeed and we'll in my one office the first original office we we only get like six applicants I guess nobody needs to work. I'm not sure, but we don't get very many applicants at all. So at that point, we're pretty much anybody that looks like they can read, write, and can has any kind of interest in doing in our, something in our field during their interview, we kind of offer them the position. Um, in the cold start, like I said, we've gotten a lot of college kids, and they're very, very bright. But what's unfortunate is that they're usually there only for a few months. Um, or they'll go back to nursing school. Um, nurses have been great. Nursing school students have been great, great employees. I've done so well. They're very interested. Um, they're learning some of this anatomy in school. They know some of the medications, and they're very, very interested, which is very helpful. But we've been mostly using Indeed, um, and we get a lot of applicants in my cold start, a lot. like. 70 to 80 applicants um, so that we go through all of them and if they have any kind of medical background we'll offer them an interview my office manager has a math quiz she gives during the interview um, some of those questions I think are hard but she thinks they're very fair we we don't grade them very 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 hardly at all but we um, have some contact lens questions kind of gets you an idea of, of how they're thinking and what their thought process is. It's not about getting them all right, but it's kind of like the thought process. Right. Um, and so that's helped a bit um, in getting candidates that are a bit better and can kind of quick uh, think quickly on their feet. Do you have any kind of um, assessment where you can sort of learn who they are uh, as far as the type of 
um, what really makes them tick, what makes them excited, what kind of things really work well for them for work, anything like that at all? We don't. Ha- I know she has four quizzes. I cut right. it down to just one for the math because there was one that was like looked like they were studying for like USPS where you had to like match postal codes. I don't know where she's gotten these quizzes from, like the 80s or 90s. I cut all of them out. We only have the math one, but we do need a personality type quiz. That's actually a great point. We need to have something like that. So one of the things that we brought in, um, it would have been in the spring of 2020, um, Pat Lencioni, who wrote a lot of books, and one of the books he wrote is called The Advantage. Um, It's basically about um, nice having a nice, healthy workplace. And his most recent book that he has written is called The Working Genius, which is actually built around his working genius assessment. And it's really neat because what the working genius assessment does is it sort of points out what you really get joy out of work doing. And the nice part about it is it's wicked cheap. It's like 25 bucks. It takes about 15 minutes to take the assessment. And it gives you instant information that you can readily use for just about anybody uh, like uh, it basically categorizes in six different areas um, so the first one is wonder you know, wonder is like an individual that sits around and well they wonder a lot uh, they hey have you ever thought about or wow I wonder what would happen if I did this or this it's that person that asks a lot of questions in class mm-hmm. that guy probably is a wonder the next one is invention. Invention basically is, you know, taking all those what ifs and how abouts and putting processes and systems together and sort of figuring out how that all kind of fits together uh, to make a system sort of work. The next is called discernment, which is self-explanatory. I mean, people, I've got somebody in my office, her name's Allison. She is our operations administrator. And she might not have any idea exactly what I'm talking about, but for some reason she has this uncanny ability to go, that's a great idea, or I don't know. And she's right like 97% of the time. I mean, it's wicked how amazing she is with getting those that quickly. Uh, the next one is galvanization, uh, just getting people behind stuff, getting people behind an idea, you know, and um We've got one person in our office right now that does galvanization for us, and she's probably going to get worn ragged because, you know, it's you need that. You really need somebody to say, no, this is a great thing that we're doing, and let's get excited about it and get people behind it. Uh, the next thing is enablement, and it's not what you think enablement means. It's actually a good part thing. It's, it's more of these people, they just can't help themselves from helping people. You know, every time it turns around, they got to help you. You know, they just, you know, and they feel like they've got to do it. It's just part of their nature. And then the last category is uh, tenacity, just pushing stuff across the line. These people, you know, they love checklists. They just can't help to get, I've got to finish this. If I don't finish, I'm going to lose my mind. Those are those kind of people. So the nice thing about having this is everybody has two working geniuses and they have two working frustrations, which by also means they got two working incompetencies. So if you have, let's say, I'm going to tell you mine. Mine is wonder and invention. That's why I love doing these podcasts because I get to sit and ask a bunch of questions, and I just wait and learn, and it's it's great. Um, and the next one is invention. But what I really stink at is galvanization and discernment, 
which as a leader or an organization, you would think, well, that person really needs to be able to make good decisions. The, the problem for me is all decisions sound like a great idea. Yeah, that sounds great. Let's try that. That's wonderful, you know. And tenacity, even though it's in my competency, um, it's on my lower end of my competency. So after I've thought about it, come up with a really great idea, and then said, hey, let's put it together like this, I'll say, now, y'all just go ahead and fix that, and I'll be gone, you know. Um, but the nice part about it is because I know that I'm not really good at galvanization and I'm not really good at discernment, it kind of takes some of that guilt away from me. And I can fill our team with those things that we're missing. The people that we're missing in our team, I can try and find those when we're doing our interviews by doing this assessment and go, hey, wait, he is a discerner. We need that because right now I've only got two people in the practice who can make good ideas and good decisions. Everybody else kind of stinks at it. So let's get that person. Um, so it helps me build my team a little bit better in a way that I can sort of, and it's not manipulative. I, I want everybody to understand it's not manipulative. It is about really, because when you get right down to it, I could sit and do the wonder and invention all stinking day long and would be just shocked if somebody paid me to do it because it's just something I'm just kind of good at it. Mm -hmm. I could understand them paying me for a lot of other stuff that I really hate doing because that's a lot of hard work. Meanwhile, there's somebody out there who's really good at discernment and galvanization who goes, wait a minute, they're going to pay me to do this? This is not special, but I think it's amazing. You know? So that's, you know, look into something sort of like that. Again, very inexpensive. 25 bucks tells you all that information in no time flat, and you can put it together in a hurry. It's a so book it's, or an app or a website? Yes, the answer is yes. Um, there is a book. There is a book that Pat wrote, and it's it's more of a uh, narrative-type kind of book that he tells the story about this team. And, you know, the, the question comes about is, hey, why are you like that? And that's where the story starts being told about how they figured out how to do this process. And then the assessment is a standalone piece, too. You can just go to a uh, – you can type in Working Genius in Google, and it'll pull it up for you, and you can get the assessment. Um but it's in, you don't have to make an account, but you can. The nice thing about um, some of this, too, is you can put these models together and sort of come up with, like, a facilitator who knows how to do these sort of things. Some people can get a team map for you, put it together, so you can have a team map and know what everybody sort of fits into. Or you can write them down yourself, which is just as difficult as using a pen and a piece of paper. So I'm actually very excited for this. This actually sounds great. It makes a lot of sense, what you said. Very yeah, well, I would love to say I came up with the idea, but I didn't. So if I did, then I might not be doing optometry anymore. Who knows? That's right. So when it comes to looking at your team, um, what are the things that you're really good at? And what are the things that your team is really good at that you brought them in to do because you're not necessarily really good at it? good at making um, financial decisions when it comes to patients like I, I think as doctors we want to just always give away things and so my office manager is always very like firm like hell no we're, we're, you're not giving this person a discount on their contact lens evaluation again um, and I think everybody kind of needs somebody like that because you know you, you're very 
you're empathetic towards patients, but at the end of the day, you do have a business to run. And so sometimes it can um, cloud your judgment, and it's helpful to have like a third person that's going to be like, no, this is what the company policies are, this is how we really should be doing things. So I think that's like probably been one of the the greatest things that I've needed is, is somebody to just kind of help and stop and make the financial decisions, especially when it comes to patients. When, are, when you're looking at how the roles of the practice work, when do you decide that you're going to take a leading role? And when are the times that you sit back and say, no, I think I'm going to take more of a supportive role in here? here? I think it depends on each office. Um, I wish in my cold start I could take a supportive role, but I am always taking a leading role just because we are we we don't have like our our employees that we can fully trust like a good bunch of staff members that we know are going to be there long term. Everyone's kind of every six months it changes, so I don't have I don't have the ability to trust anybody yet because I don't have anyone to trust. Um, so. I'm always doing a lot in that office, and I, I can't wait to take a seat back, but it hasn't happened yet. Um, in And then with running multiple locations, and in, in the other two, thankfully, I have a trustworthy person, because if you didn't, you can't do this. You really can't run three offices if you're the only person making the decisions. Um, so it's, it's, it's like my office manager has been my saving grace. Like she is the office manager for our first office, which I inherited her with the office. I mean, thank God I did. And that's part of the only reason that I decided to go forward because I knew when I'm not there, she, she's more strict than I am. Like she is very to the T with following rules. Um, you know, she doesn't let anybody slide. Nobody can escape her without paying. And, and she's, a very good rule follower and I think that's important because then you know that that person is just gonna do their job the way you need them to do their job um, and then the other person that's obviously helped me I mentioned before is my husband um, lab bills are a pain in the butt to go through and check and even though we have you know people who work in the optical department um, it's just it's at the end of the day I, I have a hard time trusting people with like actually paying bills and doing things and making sure things are reconciled correctly. So I showed my husband how to do all that because he had no idea. Um, but now he does know and now he handles it for all three. And so I have I have no worries um, when it comes to the optical side of things. Um, frame breakages or lost warranties or having to call the lab and ask him why there's a delay. He handles all of that. And that's been very helpful because in the beginning I was doing that. Um, so we haven't, we have a hard time finding licensed opticians in this area. Um, so all of my opticians are basically unlicensed. Um, and I've, I've taken a lot of just staff members that had zero experience and kind of taught them the sales. Um, also taught them how to adjust glasses and kind of just do everything. And, um, it's been helpful to have team that can do that but then because I don't have any licensed opticians I just really didn't have anyone to oversee them 
And you've also got other supporting doctors with your practice as well. Um, of course. Yes, you know, because it would be really difficult for you to be in three places at one time. Yes. So how does that work for you? I mean, and, and what, are the, what are the roles that those doctors play? Are they just there to do eye exams? Do they have other options or duties that they carry out? Um, they're basically just there to see um, patients. They're, I have two associates. Um, they uh, see patients. One of my newer associates, she's young. She just graduated a year ago. She, I, I'm hoping for great things for her. I'm hoping, um, I, I'm looking for someone that wants to partner because I'm kind of, I want to be able to take uh, some time away from, you know, one of the practices at least. And I've interviewed so many optometrists, but a lot of younger ODs are, are not so interested in going into private practice at least right away. They're, they're, they're taking their time. And um, so, I'm, I'm looking. <laughs> I'd love to have a little bit of help. So, I mean, well, you know, let's not give them too hard of a time. I mean, because, you know, you started off somewhere else. I started off somewhere else, too, you know, before I got my own practice. So it's not yeah. like it's an unusual thing. Um, why do you think that they're not as excited about getting into this as early, perhaps? What, what things do you think are holding them back? be similar to what like making a commitment to one area um, being unsure of what the demographics of that area will be like unsure of what their future really holds um, I, I I would have jumped into prior practice sooner if someone had given me the ability to partner with them um, but it's I'm almost I'm almost like willing to to teach for free like you can just come Tell me you want it help you want it in a few years and I I wanna I like to educate, I like to teach, I wanna kinda share my knowledge on how I'm doing it um, with others. Uh, because it's it's hard to do it on your own. It, it is. If you I I have friends that have opened up a cold start and they um, struggled because they didn't have a lot of the, the tools or the knowledge and it, it takes time to kinda learn everything. Especially the business side of things. Do you find that part of the bit uh, that part of your practice more uh, exciting than guest care, or do you find them equally? Or I mean, what? Tell me about that. I've always liked business. Um, my dad owned a restaurant, so when I was a teenager, I used to help him run it. Um, sometimes I'd be like, "You can have the day off," and I I could do everything from opening to close to the cash register to running reports, and so I always liked that um, and I think that is my favorite part of being a practice owner is the business side of things it's my favorite thing um, I, I want another office <laughs> we're looking at opening up a gym we were looking into a franchise agreement with burn boot camp um, by we I mean it's usually me up till two in the morning doing research and then I wake up in the morning and I drag my husband into it it was super supportive but business is not his thing well, you know, everybody's got their own skill, you know, and that's, you know, uh, that, that works out real well that way. So when you, uh, let's, let's say you've got this individual, you talked about how you would like to help them. Um, what kind of things would you tell them about why, it's, why would it be great to start a practice? What's, what's great about right now to start a practice? Um, well, I don't know about the timing, but I think it, I, 
think it really depends on the location. Um, and one of the things, reasons why I think my cold start, my cold start currently is almost the same level as my third office in terms of revenue. Um, wow. We ended up doing really well. Um, and and I, I think it's just, it's the location. There are certain areas that just have lots of offices. And unless you can really set yourself apart, um, but even that's hard. Everyone's setting themselves apart. Everyone is a dry eye spa. Everyone is going into myopia management. Most offices in this area are going into those things. So it's getting a little bit harder and harder to set yourself apart because everybody wants to do that. At least a lot of the younger doctors who are learning about the IPL or ortho K in school, I mean, they graduate, they want to do all that. Um, so I think it, location really helps because if you're going into an area that might not be um, served as by as many offices, it's definitely going to help the community out, but it's also going to help yourself out. Yeah. I mean, but do you think our guests are showing up here because of our widgets or are they coming here because of us? I think my widgets. <laughs> I have so I have patients that will go get an exam at, at, at VisionWorks. I actually had two today, and then they end up using their benefits, and then they come back for a second opinion because, well, I guess it's both. Um, they heard good things about us, and they heard right. that you know we do we take thirty minutes with an eye exam. They just got a five minute eye exam, and so they hear they want a second opinion. Um, it also helps. I speak Spanish pretty fluently. I'm not Hispanic. Um, I'm Indian, and I also speak my language, which is Punjabi. And so Carteret is a very ethnic area with lots of Indians and Hispanics. Um, and when they go to another place, they might not necessarily get somebody that speaks their language. So they get their exam, they're unhappy, then they come out of pocket. And we'll just be like, you know what, this is what was said. I just want you to tell me this again in Spanish or in Punjabi, or just, you know, go over this again, go over my options, do I have to get surgery, cataracts, or things like that, and um, that's, that is what the community in that cold start area has really, I think, appreciated um, about our office, and then they, they know that we're going to have um, a lot of really cool stuff, you know, they, they love all the um, pre-testing equipment. So what kind of things do you do to make sure that you're operating at peak performance inside the practice? Um, we, one thing that we do um, that we changed as of 2023 is that we verify all insurances and collect deductibles in advance. Um, we, every single patient's deductible gets collected in advance. And I have a virtual assistant who works behind the scenes. From Hello Reach, she's amazing. She's been with us for about two and a half years, and she verifies all medical insurances, writes down the deductibles. We have a little cheat sheet of allowables on a spreadsheet. All the CPT codes are listed, and all the allowables are listed. And whatever we circle, our staff collects. And that has been so amazing. And I got frustrated. I got frustrated of getting um, a lot of receivables that were not being paid, getting statements back in the mail, wrong address, someone didn't take the apartment number down, things like that. We were getting, we were having a lot of issues with unpaid bills. 
and that has been amazing for us. And we really had little pushback. Most people understand. Yeah, they, I think they do. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing. They What we think is, you know, oh, my gosh, I'm going to tell them it's going to cost this much and they're going to freak out. What they actually know is, well, you know, they got to have some, they got to get paid to take care of me, you know. And mm-hmm. um, if, if we're not making any money, I can't put the key in that front door in the morning to make sure that somebody comes inside it. So it's really important that we are taking care of our practices financially, of course, um, but also making sure that we're doing the things that it takes to make sure that the backside of stuff gets taken care of. Um, you know, and having that stuff done ahead of time is really smart. We we do a very similar situation. We started many years ago, you know, taking care of, of all those fees up front as much as we could take care of. You know, when people said, oh, well, now they're going to have to write two checks. I can't remember hardly the last time anybody wrote a check here at the office. It just doesn't happen anymore. Everybody's got their credit card, you know, for what yeah. they're going to use. So, <clears throat> you know, they're going to hit the credit card at the front. They're going to hit the credit card in the optical when they check out, and then they're going to be out the door, and no one's going to be, the, you know, worried about it. Um, so I, I think you're on the, on the right path for that for sure. Not to mention the fact that so April Jasper, um, we were having a – group study meeting many many years ago and this is the first person i ever heard of doing what you and i are doing Uh, and she said she had got the idea because she had gone to a a spa that her team had given her for christmas like this spa day and it was you know it was a particular treatment that she was going to have done and she checked in she she said they said well miss jasper here's our menu for treatments that we have was there anything else you'd like to add to it? And she goes, well, yeah, I think I'd like to have this, this, and this. And she goes, that'd be great. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and take care of that now so you don't have to worry about dealing with this at the end. You know, and she, as she heard this come out of their mouth, she thought, that is brilliant. We should have got to start saying that in our practice. And that's, that kind of became their thing. And their accounts receivable went to nothing because they weren't having to get people to get to the end and go, oh, I don't have my money today. You know, yeah. and that just stopped. It, it just it did. You know, so that made things so much smoother and so much easier. And we had a similar situation. Our accounts receivable is really well controlled. Colette just does a great job at making sure that what does happen to get past this, there's just not that much to take care of. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, when you look back at these years of practice you start off with one immediately get a two and then jump into a three is this how you thought it was all going to turn out no i i never thought i would have more than one i wasn't it wasn't something i was looking for i just thought i'd have one practice and i'd be so happy um and i'm so happy i'm I'm very happy to have three i want four um but it's uh it's it's just i i even though i understood business i didn't understand that you can actually have more than one because um, a lot of things you can automate so you don't have to spend, especially if you have an associate, your entire time in one practice. And um, it's, it's, that's actually just been amazing. Like, I, I love it more than anything. I, it's really just refreshing to see someone who's so excited about this. Uh, I mean, you know this. You've been, you go to meetings, you see people, oh, my gosh, if I have to do this again, I'm going to But it's so refreshing. To have somebody yeah. so exciting I to talk about this. All of it is all of it is great. I mean, it's really refreshing, especially when patients are are happy. They are happy that you're there to serve them. Um, they're happy with the services that you have to offer, 
and it makes everything really worth it. It really, really does. I, I mean, the only thing I really have to say is I hate training. I hate staff training. But other than that, I love everything else about it. I really, really do. Well, see, now all you need to do is just find someone else to do the training for you in your day. I, I know. I've, I've been trying. I've been, I, I pull staff members from, so the offices are far apart from each other. That's what makes things a bit difficult. Right. Um, the, they're, for one, the cold start and my first office are about 45 minutes from each other. And the other ones are 45 minutes from each other too. So I'm, I'm all along Jersey, the 95 of Jersey. And, um, it makes it hard to cross train. Cause if I, if I was closer, Oh boy, I've got excellent employees, employees in the two offices and it'd just be so much easier to train. And I do pull them. I do. I pay them incentive. I'm like, come train for a day, please. And they, they do. They're very, very helpful in that sense. Um, but I just wish I didn't have to do it all the time. All right. So we got this, we got this individual that's been listening to us for the last almost hour and they're thinking, can I do this? Can I start my own practice? What are you going to tell them? hundred percent, hundred percent. You can, and you really, really should because it's so rewarding. It's not just the financial reward, but like when I built out my cold start, like I cried, like the first day I opened up, I was like, my husband and I were standing there and I was like, like we built this. Like it's so, it's, it feels really good to own something and to have your own practice. And at the end of the day, before I turn the lights off, I'm like, all of this is mine. Like it just feels so good to have something. And so I think even though there's, there's so many private practice struggles, there will be cash flow issues, staffing issues, patient issues. At the end of the day, um, you know, it's a big investment in yourself and you have something and it feels really, really good to have built that. It really does. I could not have said that better myself. I'm glad you said it. Uh, Sandeep, thank you for spending time with us today and inspiring us to look at this as a, something that can really happen for us. And I really appreciate thank your time. You. Thank, thank you. you. For